This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Hello, college football fans, and welcome to the Primetime Podcast. My name is Ricky Widmer, and as always, I'm joined by young underscore swan19, Brandon Swanee. Hey, hey, hey. And Swanson, today what we are going to talk about is we did the Heisman stuff, college football playoff. We're going to push down the line a little bit. We're going to do that next week. But the big thing we're going to talk about here is I found an article on ESPN. And for our ESPN insiders, I'm going to leave the link down below in the comment section if are in the details if you want to actually look at the article. This is an article by Travis Haney of ESPN. And basically what we're going to do, Brandon, is we're just going to go through 1 through 10 on this list and just give our thoughts of are these coaches really on the hot seat? If they are, what do they have to do to get off of the hot seat and virtually are they going to get canned at the end of this season? So we got 10 coaches. We're going to start with number 10, Mark Rick, Georgia, and his record over 14 seasons, 136 wins, 48 losses. It's like the first thing I think of is really Georgia's head coach is on the hot seat. Like I get it. They're not perennial SEC champions, but I see a 136 and 48 career record over 14 seasons, and I go, that's pretty good. Usually you don't see that and say, oh, well, that's a coach that's going to be on the hot seat. No, not at all, and I think right now the reason why we're why we're talking about Mark Richt is that they saw some really poor performances at the end of the season last year. Uh, they had a, a terrible performance against Florida, and I, I think that you you expect a team like this, a Georgia team who I think is pretty darn good. I mean, mm-hmm. they have talent. They can't flop like that at the end of the season. You know, you, you can't you just can't do that. And I and especially to a team that's I, I think far inferior to you. When you do something like that, you piss off your fans and you're gonna piss off the rest of the people who are in charge of hiring you and saying, you know, what what are you doing? What do you are you do you not have the players ready? You know, AD's well, and, probably all over him, like, what's going on? I, well, our see, players are better than theirs. And I get the Florida loss, but I mean Looking at last season in particular, 10-3 and three season, they're, they had key wins. Beating 16 Clemson at the beginning of the season. October 11th, winning on the road at number 23, Missouri. They beat number 9, Auburn, at their place. They beat number 21, Louisville, in, in their bowl game on December 30th. However, you look at their losses, Florida, unranked. South Carolina, on the road, number 24 team at the time, and then you can't lose to your rival. I know they were the number 26, or the number 16th team. You lost in overtime, but if you're Georgia, you got to beat Georgia. That's the one game, like, I would say, you know what? You got to win every one, but if we, if I can only pick one game to win, that's the one I circle. Like, that's the one you got to win, is the one against your rival. Any coach who has 136 
and 48. Who averages about 9.7 wins per season. 136 and 48 in 14 mm-hmm. seasons. We shouldn't even be talking about this guy in the hot No, we seat. shouldn't. There's and I mean, no way we should be. These types of guys should be on the top 10 list of guys who have the safest job in college football. Well, and here's the only reason why I think Georgia's Mark Rick is at number 10. It's because you don't want to get where it's com- where you're complacent as a fan base, where it's like, okay, nine wins is enough. Okay, that's good. We don't have to win the SEC. It gets to a point, especially when you're in the SEC, if you're not competing for that SEC title game each and every year, your fan base and, like you said, your AD are probably like, yo, man, what's up? Because it's got to be you at this point. Yeah, they probably are. And that those those losses at the end of the season and 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 poor losses that 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 brings up a lot of tension. That brings up a lot of distaste. I I think in, in people's mouths and, and and they're wondering again. Like I said before, mm-hmm. you know what's going on here? We have a far superior program. We have stud guys. We should win these games. Well, and I mean, you look at it and. Last year's standings, they beat Florida or they beat the Gamecocks. They'd be tied with Missouri, and because of their win over Missouri, they would have won their side of the SEC. They would have played Alabama instead of Mizzou. However, you lose to a Florida team who finished 4-4 four and four in the SEC, 7-5 and five overall, and you lose to Spurrier's Gamecocks, who were 3-5 and five in the SEC and 5-7 and seven overall last year. That's why I think Mark Rich on this article is number 10 on the hot seat because you can't you can't lose to those teams. Virtually you should have beaten both of those teams. Didn't even need the tiebreaker against Missouri. That's why he's on the hot seat. Do I feel like this season he will get fired at the end? No. He's not gonna. He's not gonna. And I mean I don't think that you disagree with me. No, not at all. Number the next one on the list. Tell us who number nine is. We've got Kyle Whittingham from Utah, record of eighty-five and forty-three in ten seasons. And again, this guy uh, having a little bit of a rift with his athletic director, and he of course says that the in-house uh, things are overblown. Mm-hmm. And when he says that, that means that they totally were not overblown. Well, and last year I'm going to look at the record right away for last season. Five and four in the Pac-12, nine and four overall. And when I look at a record like that, I go, okay, you're probably playing cupcake games, which they kind of did. I mean, Idaho State's a cupcake. Fresno State, you beat them. When I see 59 to 27, I'm going to assume a Derek Carless Fresno State team is a cupcake. Yet you got a big win over Michigan. But last year wasn't a big win over Michigan. Because Michigan was kind of on the decline, and then other than that, their only non-conference win came in their bowl game. However, they lose Pac-12 conference game number one to Washington State. They lose to uh, Arizona State in overtime, Oregon in overtime, or Oregon in regulation, Arizona, and they should have lost maybe to Oregon State and Stanford. They needed double overtime to beat both those both those teams. Whenever and again, I, and I said this before, but whenever you see a team, or pardon me, a, a coach that has a winning record, especially of eighty-five and forty-three, 
you not know as what, impressive you, but, as but you, no, Rich. But you know what that reminds me of in the NFL? Lovey Smith. You know, you have a winning record. Complacency. But complacency. You're just ready to be better than what you have been the last couple of years. And that's the problem, I think, with a lot of these guys is that they're they continue to get eight wins mm-hmm. and that they're in the middle of the pack and they're not looking bad and they're above 500, but they're not impressing at the level that they should be or are expected to be. And that's why he falls here at number nine. See, and I look at, they have on this article some hot seat turning point games. And the three that they have listed for Whittingham, September 3rd, game one of the season against Michigan, you have to win that game. Like I said last year, I be- it was Brady Hoke last year. That was his last season, right? Then Harbaugh took over. Brady Hoke was on the way out. That Michigan team was god-awful. So you kind of beat a cupcake team, even though it was a Power 5 conference team. This year, Jim Harbaugh has that team already looking a lot different. So I should say Michigan's the favorite. In that They're the favorite in that game. So you have to win that one. Then they have October 10th versus Cal. To me, I'm like, okay, that's probably a game you should win. That's why it's a turning point game. But then Colorado on November 28th, and I can see that because same part of the season, same part of the season last year, you only beat them by four, and that's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. It, but it's games like that that you never know what to expect. I think mm-hmm. you know this year could come out and and you know they could blow them out or be blown out by thirty. I mean, you just never know. Uh, well, they probably not. But I, I'm just saying, it's those those games are the tricky ones. But those are the games that you have to win to be able to really have that security going forward. And I mean, last year was the team's first bowl game since 2011. When you but when you finish eight and four, it's kind of eight and four is okay. It's kind of like another team we're going to get to higher on this list. It's almost like when you finish with six wins, and it's like, oh, great, we're six and six, we get a bowl game. Great. Like, we're you were happy we're in a bowl game, but we finished six and six. This isn't good, especially in a conference like the Pac-12 where Arizona, Oregon, Arizona State, USC, UCLA, these teams are only getting better, even Stanford. These teams are only getting better, and if you don't get better with them, they're just going to bury you. They're going to bury you. Number eight on the list. This is a guy I kind of feel sorry for because he's only got one season under the belt at Vanderbilt, but Derek Mason, he went three and nine last season. Three and nine. However, it's kind of hard to fill the shoes of uh, James Franklin after he goes to Penn State. It was a little bit hard to fill those shoes, especially in the SEC. Yeah, it is. I'm looking at the schedule this year for for Vandy, who was just god awful. Three and nine. They also zero and eight in yeah. conference. Yeah, yeah, they were bad. Um, they play Georgia week two at Ole, Me- Ole Miss week four. Mm-hmm. Um, week six, they're at South Carolina, followed by Missouri. Two weeks later, they're at Florida, and then the last two weeks, it's home against Texas A&M, and at Tennessee. And this is a team that in 2013, the last year of the, like I said, Fr- James Franklin era, that was a 9-4 and four team. They went to the uh, BBVA Compass Bowl, beat Houston in that game 41-24. to 
that, I mean, conference-wise, they weren't great that last year under Franklin. That's why I feel like he left and booked it and went to Happy Valley to be with the Nittany Lions. But, I mean, going from 4-4 four and four to then 0-8 oh in the conference last year, I feel like Vanderbilt, if you're the AD, you're going, okay, you get one more season to turn this around, or I got to bring in a guy who will kind of a thing. Do you think he does turn it around this year? I mean, well, one, do you think he's b- going to be better? I I really don't know. And the reason why is because the it's kind of like what we talked about with Utah, except worse because it's the SEC. I mean, the SEC East isn't as, I want to say, isn't as competitive as the SEC West. Kentucky, teams like Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina. I'm sorry, Vol, Vol Nation. I'm going to throw in the Volunteers too. Those kind of teams are all going to try to fight it out for three through last in the West. However, it's going to be, can you knock off top dog Missouri? Can you top knock off the top, literally a bulldog in Georgia? Because the way I see it, Mizzou and Georgia are going to fight for the top. Maybe the Vols up in there, but Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, all fighting for that third through whatever. And Vandy, it's like, are you going to compete with them, or are you just going to be a bottom feeder? And I don't mean like bottom feeder is like, oh, we won two games. I mean complete bottom of just scraping the dirt at the bottom of the ocean. So you really don't have any hopes for this team. High hopes, at least. Well, the the silver lining is at least you don't have to play in the West. At least you don't have to see Alabama, Mississippi State, Old Miss, Auburn, and LSU for sure. If they were there, they would be... They'd be 0-8 again. Screwed. I mean, the only teams from that side of the conference that they get to see, Old Miss, who... Quarterback question. So, I mean, that's a favor. I mean, they're not going to have Bo Wallace, but I still feel like... It's going to be whatever. I think they'll still be good. And then Texas A&M, who Texas A&M hasn't been a favorite either. Last year, Texas A&M was 3-5 and five in the conference. Yeah. So, I mean, at least, that's a good thing in your favor, is you don't have to play any of the top dogs from the SEC East, or SEC West, but the SEC East you got to at least battle it out with Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Florida. I I think if I think if you win three or four of those games and lose to Missouri and Georgia, you can keep your job if you're Derek Mason. I mean, Vandy Nation, Commodore Nation may disagree with me, but I feel if you go at least three wins in your division, I'm not saying overall, just in your division, it's like okay improvement from last season you have to also be in my mind you have to be competitive against missouri and you have to be competitive against georgia you have to be close games because if you aren't competitive against the best what does it matter it doesn't matter if you can beat another team that's on the bottom end Mm -hmm. it that does not matter great you got to win but how do you play those really good teams were you competitive were they competitive you get blown out you have to also beat western kentucky mid-tennessee and at Houston. And Mid-Tennessee's at Mid-10, too. Because Mid-Tennessee and Western Kentucky, those are CUSA teams. 
Those are teams, if you're in the SEC, you are expected to win those games. And for me, if you lose any of those games, any one of them, don't come back next season. Just don't come back. Tell us who we have at number number seven on our list. And number seven on our list, uh, we have got Paul Rhodes, Iowa State, 29-46 in six seasons. Pretty rough record. Um, pr- pretty pretty rough team, honestly. Another 0-9 in, the, in conference. Yeah. Another 0-9 in conference. And yeah. I mean... Not good. I just... See, Iowa State to me, like, a few years ago, it... It seemed like they were good and they were on the rise, but I don't know what happened this past year to Iowa State that were they just fell off last year. I mean, when you come out and you lose thirty-four to fourteen to North Dakota State, I know North Dakota State is like ex-defending champion of the FCS. But they're an FCS team. You should be able to beat them. No doubt about it. And when you lose that game, it's like, really, we lost to an FCS team. I mean, they are, they're bad. 0-9 in the conference, as you said. 2-10 overall. 1-6 at home. 1-4 on the road. I, I, that's horrible. That is beyond... Horrible. And if I'm a fan, it doesn't fly. Your only saving grace last season, Cyclone Nation, was you beat Iowa on the road. But you only won by three. But you beat them. You beat your rival. I was another one with a head coach on the... Are they? Uh-huh. Is he, is one on of the hot on this seat. List? So that'll be, that'll be coming up later. There's a few. I'm just going to say right now, one, two, three, four Big Ten coaches... Yeah. On this list. Off the bad teams. Four Big Ten coaches. But, I mean, with Paul Rhodes, here's the games it comes down to. Northern Iowa, Iowa, Toledo, Kansas, Texas Tech. Those are the must wins. Those are the turning point games. If you lose them, you may not be coming back. Paul Rhodes says, we are far from the worst team we've put out there. We're better than most people think we are. He's made those comments. He's got to back that up this year. Well, I mean, this is a team... Last year, like I said, 0 and 9, 2 and 10 overall. We go to 2013, 3 and 9, 2 and 7. Then you have a 6 and 7, 3 and 6 team in 2012. The last time this team had a winning record, we have to go all the way back. I'm in 2010 and I'm still not there. We we have to go to 2009. 2009. Which was when they finished seven and six. That's the last time this team that is had a so bad record. That's really bad, and and I I think, you know, it may be time for a change here. I mean, the basketball coach they got a new basketball coach. Why not get a new football coach? They got a new basketball coach because he wanted to leave. Yeah, well, he left for yeah. our our home city of Chicago. But and I'm looking back that season. That 2009 season was Rhodes' first year. And, I, and I'm just going to throw it out there. That was not his recruits. So he got a winning record with his without his recruits ever since we've come in. It's kind of like that thing you got to look at 
when a head coach comes in, and this is the saving grace for Derek. Well, I mean, zero and eight. It's probably not a saving grace, but a big thing is you can't really judge a head coach in my eyes until maybe year three, year four of them being with the team because it takes them a time to get recruits in those freshmen that they bring in. Not everyone's bringing in guys who can start day one. So if we take that and let's say, okay, Ricky, one, two, three, his fourth season with the team, six and seven, six and seven was their overall record. So it's six and seven, three and nine, and then two and 10. That's not good. You're going down with your own recruits. Well, how about this? Five victories in two seasons. That's that's not good. That's really not good, especially at all. in and a conference that I mean, your top dogs that go eleven and two and twelve and one can't even make the college football playoff. I mean, I I really think that something like this is where yes you you want to as an athletic director be able to back your head coach. But eventually, no matter how much you like them, they've mm-hmm. got to start to produce for you. Just like the players have to start to produce for the coach. So it's a really sticky situation, but, you know, something's got to give. Let's move up to number six on the list. Kevin Wilson, 14-34 and 34 in four seasons with the Hoosiers. And with Indiana, it's kind of been, they've always been that just... Bottom of the team. I mean, this last season, they were kind of, I believe they were diced into a different, they were used to be with like Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, that side. Now they got diced in with like Penn State, Michigan, Rutgers, Maryland. Because when Rutgers and Maryland come in, they change the conferences and are the divisions and how that would work. But one in seven last year, four and eight overall. And Indiana, to me, has shown flashes, flashes of a team that could do well. Last year, they had that game against Missouri on the road where they won, and you go, wow, this team can actually win. Then they hit conference play, and it's like Iowa, Michigan State, Michigan they lost. Penn State, Rutgers, Ohio State, lost, 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 lost. Yeah, they beat Purdue, the in-state rival, but you're not competing with your you're not competing with your own division. You're not competing with them. And I mean, if we go back to Kevin Wilson's first year, he started out one and eleven, winless in the Big Twelve or Big Ten. Then four and eight, a better season, two and six. So it's like, okay, we see improvement. Then five and seven, three and six, or three and five, and 13 into 14, that was our big one coming into last season. I'm like, the Hoosiers are on the the up and up. They're coming up. And then you got four and eight, one and seven, and you just completely fall off. And part of me doesn't want to use this as an excuse, but how much is it the shifting of divisions? Because last year was the first time we saw the East-West divisions, not the, I believe it was leaders and legends. I don't think that's much. I, I think that that would be just a, an excuse to be able to throw out there. I think that right now this team is is a team that defense is killing them. 
defense is killing them. I mean, if you if you look at the, just this span of games from Saturday, September thirteenth to mm-hmm. Saturday, October eighteenth, forty five, forty two in a loss. Then thirty seven, fifteen in a loss. Forty five, twenty nine in a loss. Fifty six, seventeen in a loss. I mean, in their wins, they put up thirty one points, forty nine points, twenty eight points. But I mean, again, a couple of losses. Forty five points they allowed. Forty two and thirty four. They allow way too many points, and then they're not being able to score enough in those games because. I mean, they're scoring 23 points, 27 points, which could get you a win a lot of the time. But when you have no defense and they're giving up about 50 points in the losses, that's not going to be good. So that's one thing that Indiana, if, 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 if Indiana wants to be good, they have got to find a defense. Because offense, there. Defense, it's nowhere to be found. I don't know. Part of me wants to. I know when this is four seasons in, this is what I said. This is the part where you can really start to judge a head coach and what he's doing. But here's the one thing I want to bring up about, and I'm going to harp on the divisions thing again. And the reason why I'm going to say that is when they were in the leaders, this is before Maryland and Rutgers came in. So post 2000 or pre 2014, here was their conference, Illinois, Ohio state, Penn state, Purdue, Wisconsin, you could almost guarantee every single year win over Illinois, win over Purdue. Yeah, Ohio State was tough. Purdue or Penn State was tough. Wisconsin was tough. Now they get put into a division where they keep Penn State and Ohio State, and you add teams like Michigan State, who before this last season was always battling Ohio State or Wisconsin for the Big Ten title game. You add in a team like Maryland, the new dog. You add in Michigan to their conference. And I think last year was just a, hey, you know what? We had to adjust to the new conference. We had to adjust to playing Michigan State, who we're not used to playing each and every season. So this year is going to be, for me, it's going to be that judge season where I kind of feel like at the end of it, he's not going to get canned. Next year, we're having the same talk, and he will get canned. Are you saying that they had to make an adjustment to play at Michigan State? Are you saying that they had to make an adjustment to play a good team? Is that what you're saying? I'm, they had to make an adjustment to play a good team. You should already know that you're going to have well, to play good okay, teams. No, no. That's another excuse, okay, Richard. Wait, I'm not saying an adjust to play a good team. I'm just trying to benefit the doubt you don't you don't get to play cupcake teams like Illinois, Purdue. Well, you play Purdue, but not Illinois. Give Illinois a cupcake team and they'll lose. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You take them off the list. Purdue was still on the list and they beat them. Of course, they're going to play Purdue, but every single team in that East Division with them, they lost. They lost to every single one of them. And I feel like if they're in the old division... They have two wins in the conference. But moving on up, another Big Ten coach, number five. Give it to us. Daryl Hazel, Purdue, 4-20 and in two seasons. My buddy would tell me, get rid of his ass. No, you got to. This is the the only four wins in his two seasons as head coach. We're going to look into it. 
this last year, his only two years, one of them was against Illinois. I, I already know that because I watched that game. I believe the backup quarterback, Applegate, I think he was the backup. The, the, the starter got injured. Applegate came in, or Appleby, that was his name. Oh, we should have won that game. Illinois should have won that game. It was, a, it was our home game. So they beat Illinois. They beat Southern Illinois. So an FCS team and a Big Ten team that could be an FCS team. That was their two wins last season. Their only other win the year before, Indiana State. Indiana State. So Indiana State, um, you have Illinois and Southern Illinois. And Western Michigan. I've forgotten Western Michigan last year. Purdue's really bad. So two I mean, F- they were 3-9 and nine last year. Because I believe Indiana State's an FCS team, too. Right? In the conference, Purdue was 1-7. Division, 1-5. They're bad. Yeah, two FCS teams, a MAC team, and then, like I said, a Big Ten team that probably should be playing in the MAC. I mean... That's what you lost That's to. horrible. I, I feel bad for some of these teams. I understand, you know, sometimes you have transition, but good God. I mean, it's just bad. I don't think Purdue's, as long as I've remembered, Purdue has not been known for having good football teams. They've, they've got to get back to to that. I mean, they've, they've, they've got to put some thought and, and, and precious well, time the into year, their football program. The year before... Um... Hazel came in. This was a six and seven ball team, and then the next year, his first year, they go one and eleven and don't win a single game in the Big Ten. And then last year, yeah, you make the improvement where you win a couple more games and you win a Big Ten game. However, I feel like with, like I said, this is the easier portion. Of the Big Ten. And if you can't. Illinois we know you can beat. If you can't beat Northwestern. Iowa. And at least get up and fight. To get to the middle. Of that Big Ten West. Something's wrong. Because to be honest. Is Purdue going to contend for the Big Ten? No. They're not going to. But something needs to change. And this year. I'm going to say it kind of goes to what I've been saying, the kind of four-year plan. This is a case where you can say, okay, year number three, this is it. What can you do? And some of the big turning point games that Purdue can have at Marshall versus Bowling Green, if they lose against Bowling Green, that'll be bad, versus Illinois versus Indiana. Really quick thing. You you, you talk about this four-year plan. A lot of these teams don't have time for a four-year plan. I know. Plan. See, that's, teams, that's the thing. Play, players don't want to be in some crap four-year plan. They've got four years to play. Fans don't want a four-year plan. White Sox came out with a three-year plan. How's that going? Not good. I mean, fans don't want to see plans like that. They want to be able to win now. They want to be good now. Two years at the most. Give me a two-year plan, and I'll give you a big old high five. Because if that's what it takes, if it takes you two years to turn it around, that's okay. See, and that's you should the, learn a lot in your first year. It shouldn't take three. See, that's the big thing, though, where 
you say, and I feel like it's all about the kind of just society we're in right now. Everything with social media, where especially Twitter's a big one. I can go onto my computer at any time. I could even pick up my phone and swipe to the right, unlock it, and then go, okay, what can I look up on Twitter? And just, I'm doing a social experiment right now, folks. The top thing at my feed is, let's see, something about DeMarcus Cousins, where they're in favor of trading DeMarcus Cousins. Boom. I get this information immediately at my fingertips. I also have something from Sports Illustrated where a five-star recruit picked Alabama in basketball. That's a, that's actually a surprise for I basketball. have that at my fingertips. That kind of influences like what you were saying where fan bases want, okay, your coach, you're coming in. We want to see immediate success. We don't want to wait for a team to be good. But, however, when you're Purdue, let's say you get rid of Hazel, the next coach that comes in, and this may sound like an excuse, but I'm only saying it because I've had to deal with this with my own stupid team in Champaign, Illinois, where you go after these recruits, and if they want to come to the Midwest, they're going to go to a place like Michigan or... Ohio State, and if they don't want to come to the Midwest, they're going to the SEC. They're going to places like USC, the places that have this winning tradition. So it's kind of a catch-22. you got to win games to get these recruits, but you need these recruits to win games. I agree, and I think that if you get rid of a guy like Hazel now, you bring in somebody else, what are the fans wanting? Turn around like that. You better turn around like that or else we want you out too. And we're gonna get to we're gonna get to more of this in when we get to the guy who's at number two on this list. A little Who, bit of a tease. I don't agree with him being at number two. Really quick, where do you think he should be? Number one. Good. Okay, good. We're in agreement there. But number three, Mike London, Virginia. Number four. Thank you, Brandon. Mike London, Virginia, 23 and 38 over five seasons with the Cavaliers. And some of the big turning point games this season at home against Boise State, at Pitt, at Miami versus Duke versus Virginia Tech. You know what the, his problem is? He's coaching the wrong Cavaliers. <laughs> he's got to go to Cleveland. That's the, he's got to go to Cleveland. If you want to be able to win, you can go to Cleveland and 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 coach because you really won't be coaching. You'd be getting paid to have LeBron do it for you. But uh, yeah, Mike, Mike London, Virginia. You know they've got uh, they've got some big games for him to be able to win. Um, it's it's funny because in the article it says that if you look at the schedule, it's like someone actually wants to get rid of this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's hey, tough. Maybe, that's tough. I mean, when you have a tough schedule like that and you're already on the hot seat, I mean, that is hard. And I'm not a Cavalier fan, but maybe at the same time, he kind of knows that he's on the hot seat. So he may be saying, screw it. We're going to put a little bit of a harder schedule in front of us non-conference wise so that I can prove that this team can win and boom, save my job. Because here's been... His kind of breakdown in the five seasons. 2010, 4-8 season. 
one win in conference. Then you have 2011, eight and five, go to a bowl game, lose to Auburn, five and three in the conference. How about this? Is that last year he he improved? He went to five wins, four wins in 2013, two and ten in 13. All seven losses were to bowl bound teams in five by single digits. And, and it doesn't mean anything because they still lost. But it, to me, it does mean a lot to be able to mm-hmm. play a close game. That means you're almost there. So maybe this year is maybe going to be a turnaround. And if it's not, he's gone. Well, and I mean, I look at the schedule. UCLA, you played co- close at your place. However, you got to play them on the road. Good thing for you, though. Brett Hundley's not playing that game. <laughs> no kidding. Notre Dame, Everett Golson ain't playing that game. You have Boise State will be a tough one. Only I say tough one because if he loses that game, it'll hurt more than it'll help if he wins. Pitt, Syracuse, I can see them maybe winning the Pitt game. They'll win the Syracuse game. Here are the games you have to win. Georgia Tech, Miami of Florida, Duke, Virginia Tech. Because Miami of Florida, that's also a coach who's on the hot seat. He's on this list. Somewhere. Al Golden is on this list somewhere. A little spoiler alert. He's on that li- he's on this list somewhere. So I'm kind of surprised Mike London is a little bit at number four. I would put Hazel above him, Paul Rhodes above him. I don't think I feel like Virginia has the talent. They just gotta win the games. Like you said, a lot of close games last year. And when I see a close score, the first thing I think of is the ball bounced one way. And if it bounces the other way, you get the W. And one thing that they're saying is that if London were to lose this job, front runner to get it, Mac Brown, former Texas head coach. Do you think Mac Brown really comes back? I'm just saying. Those are the rumblings. Do you think he'd come back, though? I don't know. How about number three? How about number three? Kirk Ferentz from Iowa. Again, a, <laughs> this is a, a guy team that's been that with his he's team been around forever. forever. He's been around forever. And he's got a 115 and 85 record. Again, a winning record, but a guy this who's is, this high is one on of, the hot seat. Look. This is one of those things where it's what have you done for me lately, coach? What have you done for me lately? That's what this is. Because Iowa lately in the Big Ten has kind of been that, well, we can't beat Nebraska, we can't beat Wisconsin, we're just going to not go anywhere kind of a thing. You know, I I usually don't have high hopes for Iowa, but uh, one of these years they've got to turn it around. Well, I mean, this was a team that in 2013 in the um, Big Ten, I want to say it was Legends division, they were 5-3, and Eight and five, only behind the eight and zero and thirteen and one Michigan State Spartans, and then just you come around, boom, twenty fourteen, you shift the conferences four and four, seven and six. Yeah, I I, I think that when you take a look at the big teams that he'll be playing, some of the big games. So he's got Iowa State, Pitt, Northwestern, Minnesota, Nebraska. Out of those, 
you know, which ones do you see as being tough? And and, and uh, what would the, be the give, record give out me of those a, games? Give me them again. Okay, Iowa State. Uh, I will say it's at Iowa State. I'm going to give it to the Cyclones. All right, 0-1 uh, versus Pitt. Mm, Pitt, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, new head coach. I'll give it to the Hawkeyes. All right, one and one. Then October 17th on the road at Northwestern. Oh, that's a win for the Hawkeyes, no doubt. Two and one, and you hate Northwestern. Yeah, that's no doubt. November 14th, home against the Golden Gophers. Oh, giving it to the Gophers all day. Three and one. November 27th on the road. No, not three and one. I'm giving it it to the Gophers. Oh, pardon me. Okay, sorry. So they're two two and two, and then at Nebraska. See, that game is going to be interesting. Because Nebraska is a new head coach. Amir Abdullah's, they don't have that strong run game. Well, no. I mean, they could have X, Y, and Z running back come up kind of like they do in Georgia and just have it. But see, the Amir Abdullah question mark to me, and new head coach, I want to say his last name's Riley, came over from Oregon State. And then that black, if that black shirt defense for Husker Nation can stand tall. It's at Nebraska. Right now, I'll give it to the Cornhuskers. So two and three in those games. Two and four. Two and four. Right? Two and One, two, three, four, five. And I gave them two. So two and four. Two and four. Because you had Iowa State, Pitt, Northwestern, Minnesota, Nebraska. That's five games. So how would they go two and Two and four. How would two they go three. two and four? Two and three. Two and three. And Brandon was right yet again. <laughs> no, two and three. They go two and three in those games. And I mean, they'll beat Illinois. It, it pains me to say, but they'll beat Illinois if that's a consolation prize for your Hawkeye Nation. I mean, is that is that a consolation prize that you can beat It's a Illinois? consolation prize for literally no one. Let's get to number two, because I could talk for this for this on days. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Tim Beckman, Illinois, 12 and 25 in three seasons with Illinois. I don't know why he wasn't fired last season. Well, I know why he wasn't fired last season because we made a goddamn bowl game. That's why he wasn't fired. If we don't make that bowl game, Tim Beckman doesn't have a job in Champaign. Yeah, but you just had to beat Northwestern at the end of the season, didn't you? We had to. Well, Northwestern, they're a piece of shit team. So, I mean,. They're not going anywhere, but this is going to be the most important season for Tim Beckman. And the reason being everything, we talked about it earlier this year. I want to say on our first podcast, at the very end of it, I want to say that was the Everett Golson podcast, where all the mistreat, the mistreating of former players, how Beckman just like is just a terrible person towards these guys. And that's the word that came out from former players. And something needs to happen positively because of everything that's been negative this off season. And I'll be honest. I don't know. Like I'm an Illinois fan. I'm very skeptic for this season. Like last year I had high hopes This year, I don't know how to feel because the big thing, I know I give you my four-year plan, like that four-year, like, okay, you can start to judge a head coach 
starting with year three and the year four for sure, the one thing that Tim Beckman had to do, and if last season's any kind of show of this, is he had to change the culture at Illinois from the Zucker. He had to recruit a lot of JUCO players, guys that'll have quicker turnarounds where sitting out a season, then they get into the into the system, or JUCO guys that come right into the season. And last year we saw, okay, this was the first season with mostly Tim Beckman recruits. We got a six-win season. Tim Beckman needs at least six wins this season if he wants to keep his job. He needs another bowl game. We don't go to a bowl game. He should lose his job. Does he get the six? Kent State's a win. Western Illinois is a win. Uh, North Carolina is a loss. But maybe we can upset them. Maybe. But it's a loss. Mid-Tennessee is a win. Nebraska's a loss. Iowa. I'll come back to Iowa. Wisconsin's a loss. Penn State is a loss. Purdue I'll come back to. Ohio State's a loss. Minnesota. That's an interesting one. We beat them last year at our place. But this is going to be at Minnesota. I'm going to I'm going to say we can beat them again. And then we beat Northwestern. So we're sitting there 5 and 5. Currently sitting at 5 and 5. You need to come back to Iowa, Iowa and Purdue. See, and here's the thing. Purdue we should have beaten last season. That's it. That was at home. I'm going to give us the win over Purdue. So you're saying six wins. We'll probably go worst case scenario. Well, here's the thing. I'm actually going to say five wins. Oh. The reason being is I forgot one key fact. Mikey Dudek, our star freshman receiver from last season, is going to miss at least, I want to say, the first, what, five games Best case scenario, he's coming back. I want to say it's at Iowa. So he's missing the first five games of the season because he tore his ACL earlier in the spring or earlier in the offseason. So that's a huge loss for us. He was our number one receiver last year, broke Aurelius's, Aurelius Ben's freshman receiving record. Yeah, you don't even remember that Ben was a fighting Illini, do you? Yeah, I do. Do you? I remember Aurelius Ben. Didn't quite great, make it in the NFL. great fre- great freshman season. He's going to be gone the first one. West. It depends on what West Lunt can do. What the recruits from Beckman does. I'm saying five win season. Beckman gets canned. Well, you know, I think that this guy probably should be gone already. I I, I think he should be the number one guy on the hot seat. He. He's not promoting anything positive. You know, Illinois needs positive things around their program, uh, that, okay. around their, t- you okay. know. Okay, he ever- does. In, okay, you in go the, ahead and talk, well, Ricky. Go ahead. I didn't, my, what I didn't well, say didn't the, fucking matter. The one thing I have to throw out when you say the positivity thing, to the media, 
like whenever Beckman speaks at press conferences, I just love the guy. He makes you fall in love with him. How he preaches how we're one big family and bringing in recruits to be part of the Illini family and just the culture that we're building here at Illinois. But that isn't translating to wins. Last year it did, but can it this year? Well, it's like so many people who can talk really well, but the, does that translate to leadership? No. Was that a Donald Trump reference? He can't even speak that well. I'll, I'll leave it out there. That wasn't a Donald Trump reference. <laughs> it's an Obama reference. I mean, I maybe or maybe not. But I, what I ultimately what I'm saying is that, you know, you need positive things. You need mm-hmm. positive things to be going on for your team. And if behind the scenes it's not positive, what's being produced on the field isn't positive, you get rid of it. You get rid of the negativity. You get rid of the negatives. You bring in something new. You sometimes have to get rid of the trash and bring in something good. You just got to do it. I'm saying if he does not go to a bowl game, does not go to a bowl game, he's getting fired. And the main re- if nothing with the mistreating of former players happened this offseason, I may say, okay, he'll get surprisingly one more shot. But if he doesn't go to a bowl game, if he he may go to a bowl game and they may can him. But this was the guy me and Brandon were saying should be number one on the list. Give me number one on the list, Brandon. Number one on the list. Al Golden from Miami, 28 and 22 in four seasons. And if this guy doesn't find a defense, well, he's gone. You know what's funny about this guy? This was the main guy that when I was an editor for writingalini.com on the fan-sided network, my co-editor wrote an article. I believe it was my co-editor. Maybe it might have been a staff writer. Wrote a beautiful article about the five coaches that could take over for Beckman if he got fired at the end of last season. This guy was, I believe, number one on the list to, like, that this writer believed should take over the job at Illinois. The thing about Miami, and this is maybe me being a 90s baby, but when I think of the U, I think of the 30 for 30 U. I think of the, the film that I saw as kids on ESPN Classic of the Schnellenberger days and the Jimmy Johnson days and then coming out into our childhood, more so me than you because I know I've got three years on you. Yeah, but, you're old. But that second U team with Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, um, who was the tight end, Greg Olson, that U team, just as good. And now it's like... The U's kind of lost that identity, in my opinion. I yeah, I, Devin Hester. And I don't know if that's if this is how it was, but I felt like you know for so long the U was so good. Then all of a sudden one year I was like, oh, you know, University of Miami, you know, man, they're good. And someone goes, they're not. Like that quickly, it just changed. It's like, just like what, what a happened? light switch. What just happened? like a light switch. They used to be so good. I mean, mm-hmm. you said University of Miami. People wanted to go there. You didn't even they have wanted to say to be that. A, they wanted to be a hurricane. All they, you had to do was say the U. 
I mean, that's th- that's what they wanted. I mean, I remember my cousin when he wanted everything Miami. Keep it coming. Mm-hmm. Miami, Miami, Miami. That's what we wanted for Christmas every year. Miami sweatshirt. I'm like, how many do they have? But the thing is, is that it's really sad, but teams fall from greatness and they come into greatness so quickly. I mean, a team can fall from greatness so quickly. Is they it, can also find it it's so quickly. The, it's the old Miami. Um, yeah, it was. And then you also had the old Miami Notre Dame matches where they used to call them the uh, Catholics versus the convicts. So they used to call that game. Because I remember 2010, the year before Al Golden took over, we had on the radio station where we broadcast in college, old buddy who was a Notre Dame fan, they played in the Sun Bowl against Florida against Miami of Florida, was all talking about the oh, that's the Catholics versus the con the convicts again. But since Al Golden took over, six and six season, three and five in conference, then you have a seven and five season with five wins in conference, nine and four in twenty thirteen Five and three in the conference. And then last year, six and seven. So to me, this is, and I don't know why he's number one. I mean, I think this it's is, maybe, maybe this it's is, because he lost his final four games to finish six and seven. It wasn't like a gradual yeah. throughout the year, six and seven. But it was a, you're I doing will, all right, and then you screwed up six and seven. I will say, though, just in defense, one of those games you were playing famous, Jameis. I know you lost. Okay, wait. No. You I mean the pregnant wait, man? Wait, 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 wait. I cannot give you that game because now I just thought to myself, you should have fucking won that game and you didn't. Nope. Never mind. My my excuse is null and void. Null and void. As most of yours are. I remember, oh, I just it just popped into my head how angry I was at that game because Florida State should have lost. They should have lost. It was stupid turnovers late in that game. Miami of Florida was up 26-20 in the fourth quarter, and they were even up 26-23. to And I'm like, okay, all we got to do is go down there and score. And we couldn't. And I say we because I want Florida State to lose every game last year. Ricky was actually on the team for a game last year. That was it. If I... if. If someone was playing Florida State, I was their biggest fan that week because I hate Jameis Winston. Well, now you, hate, now you don't have to root against Florida State anymore. I was so happy, so happy that Minnesota beat him in the first preseason game. Were you happy that he threw an interception career. too? Oh, totally, because he looked so much worse than Marcus Mariota. But do you think Al Golden loses his job? No, because I think they turn it around. How many wins do they get this season? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know what? Because they're be, not. They're not in our top twenty-five. So you can say that. Let Let me be ballsy and say that they go in to get nine. Nine. Yeah. It's a bold prediction Monday. I'm trying to look here. Is, um, Bethune Cookman is that an NAIA team or is that an FCS team? Bethune. I think they're an FCS team. Yeah, I don't think it's NAIA. Yeah, they are. I. I totally thought for a second, I'm like, they're playing an NAIA team? But really this year, I mean, Florida State's not going to be as good as they were. Virginia, that's a game where you're playing a coach that's on the hot seat as well. 
you just got to stand strong in the schedule. I mean, Cincinnati may be tough. I love that they're playing Nebraska again. Just like I said, that old hurricane corn husker battle like we used to see in the BCS title game. But any last thoughts on any of these coaches before we wrap up this podcast, Brandon? Again, I would just say that I think that Tim Beckman should be number one. Oh, he should be number one. He should be fired at the end of the season. Should be fired. There's no doubt. I want to ask you one last thing, and we're going to squeak this in there. Ricky Towned, the he enrolled early in the spring to USC quarterback, four-star recruit, announced that he is transferring from the Trojans. I'm going to give you four teams. You tell me who he transfers to. You ready? Ready for this? Florida, Pitt, Colorado, or Notre Dame? Hmm. He would be a freshman this season, so he'd have to sit. I'm assuming he'd have to sit out this season. Notre Dame. On the article I'm looking at, that's the long shot. The obvious choice they think is Florida, but yeah. wouldn't yeah. that be wouldn't that be something? A kid that wants to play quarterback at, for the Trojans says, "Oh well, Everett Golson's not there. I'll go play for yeah. Brian Kelly and the Fighting Irish." Yeah. But that is going to do it for the primetime podcast this week. We kind of did a flip side thing. We gave you a shorter podcast last week. We gave you a little bit of a longer one this week. I want to thank you guys for checking out this podcast. You can follow me at Ricky Widmer. Brandon is at young underscore swan 19. Most valuable podcast is at most valuable pod. I want you guys to check out all our other podcasts and videos. If you like this video, this podcast, hit the like button. If you loved it, hit the sub button. Make sure to get your MVP t-shirt down below in the description. Thank you again for checking out this podcast. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.